0: You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the seven soldiers of victory. Howdy and welcome back to Prairie Justice, and in particular, the ultimate and final chapter in our adaptation of Leading Comics number four, Seven Steps to Conquest, and the final showdown of the Seven Soldiers of Victory with the Sixth Sense. Oh, I hope that's the last time I have to say that. As we come in here, uh, just remember, our writer is Bill Finger. Our artist is Ed Bratka, And we are winding it up. And uh, the jewels are all rounded up, at least by the Sense Master. Uh, his agents have all been defeated. they at least their plots. And uh, so a few of them are not with us anymore. So let's just see what happens. Uh, not much more to say other than stay tuned for the end of the episode when I will try to combine my own notes along with uh, what Roy Thomas has rendered in the 1986 version and All-Star Squadron. S- see you in a little bit. Chapter 7 Then an interruption from the robot's hireling. What is it? We have something to tell you. It's important. The hoodlums relate of their struggles with seven legionnaires. And the soldiers of victory are coming here. We delivered the rocks, so how about paying us off as you promised? Very well. I'll pay you off. But not with money, you stupid fools. This rubber mat, a non-conductor of electricity, saved me. So the legionnaires are coming, eh? Fine. I'll attend to them too. And already from near and far the crack crime busters gather for their final fighting task. Men meet Mickey Gordon, who has enlisted his superheroing powers against his evil master. Good. Then let us be off to the sanctum of the sixth sense. Fleet Late instants later. The Shining Knight leads his trailing army to the stronghold of the Sense Master. Onward, my brave knights, on to victory! Wearily, on Cat's feet, the band moves into the grim foreboding dwelling. Nothing, it's as still as death, Grimson Avenger. Black as pitch, I have a feeling we're walking into a trap. Do you hear anything, Gordon? Abruptly, light blazes on. Keep up! Those are beams of light from electric eyes! Move through the circuit and you'll be blown sky high! Deftly, the shining knight slips his sword between the beams. Aha! Checkmate! Release us or I'll cut the glass lung that keeps your real body alive! A surprise in store for you. From within the robot's metal plates emerges a familiar figure, Doctor Brett. I thought you were dead. Hardly. That was only a ruse to keep my identity secret from my hirelings. It is this Sensemaster figure that is dead, inanimate, for his only wax inside a, g- a glass bubble. You, you are the sixth sense. Yes, now listen to me. Years ago, five men hired me as a doctor on an expedition to Africa. One day we stumbled across a fallen ancient idol encrusted with five gems. Each man seized a gem. I, only a hired doctor, was given the apparently worthless idol. Then those men were the original owners of the gems we tried to stop your thugs from stealing. Behold, the idol, upon whose base I read an ancient script and learned a way to an astounding power. Now each gem is restored to its original place, the tongue, an eye, ear, nose, and hand, symbolizing the taste, sight, hearing, smell, and touch. Thus the circuit is complete. Now I mount the seven steps. Seven steps to power. Abruptly a squealing of rusty hinges and a section of the idol's chest swings open to reveal. The life stone. The legendary life stone. Watch what happens to that rabbit of carved stone when I focus rays of the jewel upon it. Eerie light bathes the stone figure, and miraculously, it comes to life. It's alive! It's alive! I can build an army of stone giants and bring them to life. They'll be unbeatable. I'll conquer the world! Not today, brother. Gets it, guys. That bullet will kill the electricized switch the slam of a door, a clash of gears, and the mad scientist speeds off. That's him, in the car. We've got to stop him, there's no limit to that man's deviltry now, come on! Bloodhounds of justice, the legionnaires trail the power crazed doctor, until... Look he's crashed into that pole, there he goes, by the public library. Then. Ray from the Power Stone strikes one of the world-famed Library Stone Lions, and it leaps into life. A writhing rope hisses forward and loops tightly about the Library Lion. Shucks, not much difference to roping this or a wild bull. The chase leads on. On to Radio City. Still after me. ha! I'll stop them, or rather Brother Atlas will. Wow, duck everybody! Mortals, puny mortals whom I will crush with the weight of the world. Not us, Atlas. The guys we want to see the weight of the world crush are three ruts named Hitler, Hirohito, and Mussolini. As Dr. Brent laughs at a safe distance, a hurtling shape slams into him, the vigilante, it looks like I left the library lying and got here just in time, as the madman falls, the life stone drops beside him, that light flooding over him, it's turned Brett to stone, Brett destroyed by his own evil, Swiftly snatching up the life stone, the vigilante turns his raids upon the raging atlas. it's turning atlas back into stone again, in, into his original position. Right you are, Green Arrow. I guess Brett didn't know the life stone works both ways. After atlas, I'll turn the library lion back to stone. Sometime later, a gleaming object drops from a high bridge. Well, that's the end of the life stone. His powers are too big for mortal man to possess. Several months later, a rapt audience watches the rising composer, Mickey Gordon, play his latest work. It takes super hearing to get that quality. Later, with the concert over, Seven young men dressed in their finest civilian clothing exit the concert hall, only to I hear... I tell ya, the young men today are soft. You're right. See those young whippersnappers over there? I'll bet they'd faint if they ever faced any danger. Faint, I tell you. Mister, I think you'd faint. If you knew that those soft young men you pointed out are really the seven legionnaires. Whenever crime walks unchecked, that's our cue to shout, the legionnaires are coming. Okay folks, we're back with the ultimate dinoman of this adventure. Okay, the other thing that I want to comment on, I believe 56 pages is what I came up with here. So, we had six page introduction, nine pages each for each of our acts, of our soldier's acts. And then we have a five-page conclusion. Something seems off on that. I guess you have to realize, though, that leading comics and the Seven Soldiers' plan was more to market the characters than it was to really tell the story. And ultimately, that had been the Justice Society formula in All-Stars Comics as well. But something happened with All Star Comics in that the Justice Society became probably more popular as an entity than really any of its uh, any of its parts. That really didn't happen with the Seven Soldiers. Um, I don't believe we're going to find that any of the leading comics things are more than um, extra space to showcase these characters and to try to draw anybody who had purchased leading comics back over to the other five so marketing 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 and i can hardly blame them it's very ingenious really it's just too bad that the seven soldiers weren't allowed to sort of be their own thing and in that um, our beginnings not so much but our endings are always seem to be rushed And we have seen a lot of the uh, the characters that uh, have been sent out by the Sense Master. That's it. I'm not saying Sixth Sense ever again. Uh, But we concentrated mostly on his agents and such. But now that we're back to that, and just to say, to, uh, to also to add some evidence to my idea that the conclusions are rushed we don't get a logo we don't get a splash page we don't get anything like the individual chapters did for the conclusion all we do is we get a little bold faced thing that says chapter seven really kind of in the corner and it almost seems like the last chapter green arrows chapter is extended a little bit you kind of almost don't know where his chapter ends and the conclusion begins if you're not paying attention. So, um, just quickly go over to Roy's rendition, The All-Star Squadron 56. How many pages is he taking to wrap it up? Five. Yeah, that's right, folks. One, five for five pages we're taking. So, rather than me just going through some notes, um, let's read... Um, through both page by page by page and we'll compare the Bill Finger rendition again uh, the Bill Finger Ed DeBrodka rendition rather with the Roy Thomas Mike Clark edition here so first page as we say chapter 7 the cook and the bulldog or bloodhound rather and his uh, some of the goons have arrived. Uh, Bloodhound is the only one of the actual agents that has seemed to have uh, stayed the course and managed to make it back to the uh, Sense Master's hideout. And the cook, of course, has replaced uh, Pilati. Um, they demand their due and for their troubles they are electrocuted they are greeted by both the robot and the uh, the sense master in his glass tube and as i said they are beaten to death and electrocuted and this is just about the time that the seven soldiers uh, come running in and let's see uh, the Star Spangled Kid going to Roy's. Uh, we've got Mickey Gordon along the line. And the Star Spangled Kid, at least on Roy's side, reveals that Mickey Gordon has been left outside. Probably a good idea. You don't want to risk his life now that he's uh, kind of on the side of the angels. And vigilante dialogue that we have is great. It goes, right. That we didn't have in the drama is right from here on. The seven soldiers deal with those thieving varmints. Way to go, Vinch, I love you. So I'm just going to be flipping pages while I have actually my iPad on the other side for the 1940s style. And the robot uh, puts up a force field to keep any of the seven soldiers from attacking him frontally. And the soldiers, uh, let's face it, none of these guys are really superhuman or invulnerable. They're, they're pretty much mortal men, with the exception maybe of Sir Justin's uh, gold armor, which probably conducts electricity really good, so they back off. Uh, one difference between the 1940s and uh, the 1980s version is in the 1940s. Uh, the robot smashes the dome where the sense master is sitting. And something else different happens in the 1960s version. Sorry, in, in the 1940s version. I'm getting myself confused. Uh, the robot itself takes off its own head. So this is not a remote control thing. It's more resembling a mech suit. And what do we see? But Dr. Brett... That's right, the uh, Scottish uh, doctor who uh, gave the hormone therapy to the, uh, the Sense Master's agents. It's Dr. Brett who takes a hammer in the 1940s side, to the, the bell finger version, to the Sense Master's dome, revealing that the Sense Master's head, the old Jean-Luc Picard head, was nothing but a wax dummy so that has been the boss of the agents Well, dr brett hid inside the robot so dr brett is no will magnus here all he's really created is a tin can for himself that he was the medical officer for an expedition to africa that looted five jewels now they would never have said this in the 1940s version but this is something that uh, probably is more sensitive today than even it was in the 1980s um, the idea of taking treasures from say a place like africa or any other third world nation or continent and then removing them back to any uh, some sort of a western culture such as the british museum has done or the smithsonian or what uh, seem to have happened with the expedition members is they just seem to have sold the emeralds until they went to people like uh, sylvester pemberton's dad so while the soldiers are kept at bay by the electrical force field dr brett takes the five gems uh, ...manages to meld them together, and they do sort of uh, meld themselves together. Then he raises the stamps to, steps to what looks like a big jade Buddha. And that very act of Pulpish MacGuffinry reveals the five emeralds to form the Life Stone. And as he says in the Roy Thomas version, "...it can bring to life an army of stone that will conquer the world!" To test his theory, he manages to take a little stone statue of a rabbit and turns him into the real live Easter bunny that hops around the place. Well, Vigilante's having none of this. Um, He's getting a little tired of this force field issues. So for the first time in God knows how long, the Vig actually draws his pistol and fires it. Not today, hombre, one bullet's all take till your electric eye switch. And while that necessary bit of bulletry and uh, electrical short circuitry is going on, Dr. Brett disappears in the Roy Thomas version. Uh, It's Sly that figures it out that that he has disappeared. And Vidge says, he's gone through some kind of secret passage after him, pards. Well, as they go outside the secret lair, they see a car speeding away, but that's okay if there's one thing the seven soldiers have, is they've got motors and they've got vehicles. So they all uh, jump in the Star Rocket Racer and the aeroplane and chase after Dr. Brett, and he manages to have hit a uh, pole in front of the public library. Now, I would have taken this to mean the New York Public Library or the Philadelphia Library. Roy decides that it's Rockefeller Plaza that they're heading towards. And uh, Speedy asks, uh, we don't even know if this dumb lifestone works or not. Speedy, you weren't paying attention. We saw the rabbit come to life. Well, there apparently is a big giant statue of Atlas in front of this institution. And Brett says, yep, this lifestone works because he has brought Atlas to life. Atlas not only walks, talks, but Atlas smash. We get a bit of a fighty McFeitenstein and a little bit of a hulkish on soldiers action. Roy gives us a new use for Winged victory. The Shining Knight jumps off of him in midair. Did I mention there's a red sky? And he smashes Atlas in pieces with his enchanted sword. That is not happening in the Bill Finger version. But at the very least, we do get someone else that comes in and saves the day. And that, of course, is the Vigilante. Who tackles Brett. And is not too happy about it. This is a fresh piece of dialogue from Roy. How to kill them, Atlas, and swiftly, for there is a world to be subjugated. Oh, oh. Well, the only subjugating going to be done around here, Brett, is me whooping you. Now, what the two panels do agree on is that when Brett drops the lifestone after Vidge tackles him, is it's raise turn Brett, to stone just like in the great yellow Stone, he turns to stone yeah he turns to stone in the finger version that gives uh, a an idea he picks up the stone and manages to stop Atlas put him back onto his pedestal that happens in Roy's version too and in both versions This is where Vigilante just unilaterally decides without talking to the other Avengers to drop it into the river. Don't ask me if that's the Hudson River, the East River, or the Chappaquiddick for all I know. Um, I don't know my geography very well. And quite frankly, I don't think Roy or Bill Finger agree what city we're in here. In the Finger version Crimson Avenger credits Vigilani for taking charge of the little free-for-all, which did not happen in the Finger version. And Vig says, all in a day's work, Powered Oh, shucks. Uh, Stripey says, it's not over yet, fellas, till we get Atlas back on his pedestal. And who should catch up to the action but our first uh, villainous agent of the operatives, gone, gone good, Mr. Mickey Gordon. I guess you guess that you'll be turning me over to the police, huh? But you know what? The soldiers got a better idea. Now let's run over to the final panels of the uh, the finger version. The second last final pa- panels. We see all of the soldiers, uh, left to right: Greg Sanders, Oliver Queen, and Roy Harper, Stripesy, and Sylvester Pemberton, Lee Travis and Justin Arthur all in their Sunday best uh, suit and ties and they're in a concert hall and who is the performer but uh, sitting there at a grand piano but none other than Mickey Gordon and of course we know who these people are when they're not in their civvies we know that that's Vidge, Green Arrow Speedy Stripesy Star-Spangled Kid Crimson Avenger and The Shining Knight now that brings us back to Roy's final panel of this story. And instead of getting the uh, farewell cheer that Bill Finger gives him, he uh, Roy gives them some actual dialogue. Uh, Green Arrow. We'd hate to do that, Mickey, after the way you willingly led us to the Master's hideout. And as a disembodied head of uh, Mickey's love, Alice Gordon, floats above in the crimson pink skies of the crisis, The Crimson Avenger uh, assures Mickey, Besides, Alice is in pressing charges for obvious reasons. So what crime did you do? Shining Knight bears his sword swings it around in the air while he goes, Then let us, at last, return to the true reason for our assemblage together. The strange red skies which have appeared all over the world. That brings us to Stripesy and the Star-Spangled Kid, respectively. After dealing with the Sense Master, that ought to be a snap, right, kid? I wouldn't bet on it, old buddy. Who gets the last word? Well, shucks, you'd know that would have to be a vigilante. You know what, kid? Neither would I. There. All done. Both sides. 56 pages. 7 episodes. I hope your ears have uh, not lost their senses. There's only one sense that I'm missing, and that's the sense that I could use a very cool root beer right now after all of this. So thanks once again, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this mega sode, And I hope you see you again down the trail to the next episode of Vigilante Justice in the next few episodes i we are going to be returning back to all-star squadron to try to get out of this crisis and the uh, seven soldiers uh role in that in uh, working with the larger group and with the justice society in trying to wrap all of this up and trying to see how this is all going to shake out for the seven soldiers so bye for now everyone and thank you for listening